Producer Michael Miracle here, and before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to quickly invite you to join the I Work For Him Nation. Being a part of the nation is all about being Jesus in your workplace, because you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. So, head to our website, iworkforhim.com, and click on the nation flag, then prayerfully consider joining the nation. We'd love for you to join us in this workplace movement. Thanks again for listening. Here's today's podcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning into I Work For this 4th of July. Lord, we are thankful for this incredible nation. And we're so, just make sure your Heavenly Father knows how thankful you are for this incredible nation. We are so grateful. And as we talk today with, well, let's just ask these questions. Can God use your passion for business for His glory? You know, I can see where it's easy to give God glory for your successes, but what about for the failures? Can God be glorified in your failures? You know, why do we all have to fail in order to succeed? You know, I, I know that that is true. It, it seems like in order to have real success, you've got to experience real failure. Have you ever heard that one before? You know, today we're going to hear two very different yet very similar stories of God redeeming one of his children and the story of his work in their lives as they rose and fell in business. We've got Bob Williamson in studio with us today and Jamie Vrinios. Did I say it right, Jamie? Did I get it right? You did. Okay, that's a tough one. I've never seen that one before. I want to make sure I didn't say it wrong, because everybody deserves to have their last name said properly. Bob and Jamie, welcome to I Work For Him. Hey, excited to be here. Thank you. You know, Martha, it's together on Tuesdays. It's a little unusual. It's a vacation day, but yet it's a together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha. You know, as you look at our country and you look at the opportunity to be in the studio today, what's one thing you want to say to our listeners about our country before we get into our conversation today with Bob and Jamie? You know, I just, um, I think that it, I have, my dad is a veteran, your dad is a veteran. We're aware of the fact that there are so many people around us that have served our country that may not, we may not know it. And I just think that it's so important that everywhere we go, we're thankful for the freedom that we so much take for granted and to thank those around us that have served on our behalf. Yeah, it's an incredible honor to live in this country. We've visited many other countries around the world, and it is an incredible privilege to be here. Mm-hmm. Bob and Jamie, you guys have incredible stories. I'm going to start. Jamie wanted me to have Bob go first. So I normally we have ladies go first, but Bob, Jamie wanted you to go first. So I guess that, that's it. I would love for you to share how, the, the incredibleness of what the Lord rescued you from. It didn't exactly, you didn't exactly have a pleasant home life growing up. No, I didn't. I was abused severely by my father when I was growing up. Um, he was very mean and um, physically abusive and mentally abusive, and uh, uh, he made me mean. And uh, You said you think that he intended to make you mean. Well, he did. Uh, he, I think he wanted us to be tough anyway, and uh, he, he was successful with that. I, I became brutally mean and violent, and... Um, and uh, there wasn't any love in our family to speak of. My mother was an atheist. My father was far from the Lord. He just didn't like me for some reason. That was from birth. I, I always thought it made me I was illegitimate. I wasn't, but I didn't understand it. But um, so I fought all the time and um, started drinking at 12, was an alcoholic at 13, and uh, was uh, into drugs at 17. And been in and out of jail many, many times and um, got married and divorced with a child um, after 11 months. And At a pretty young age. Yeah, very young age. And 
Then I went into the military to see if it would straighten me out, and then six months later I was in prison for numerous crimes. and uh, Numerous crimes while serving in the military. Exactly. So I was being court-martialed, and there were part of the legal proceedings. There were five psychiatrists that analyzed me. I had a real thick jacket, and they asked me questions for several hours. You mean they had you in a straitjacket? <laughs> no, my jacket. It was all the criminal oh, the ja- You know, when I was when I was when I was reading the testimony and listening to the video, I'm thinking they got him in a straight jacket. That kind of a thick jacket. No, no. But you're thinking that it was a big Manila folder full of all your naughty stuff that you'd done. Exactly. Okay. All right. So anyway, the next day, the head psychiatrist called me back and he asked me if I knew what a sociopath was, and I said, No, I don't believe so. And he said, well, it means you don't have a conscience. You're a psychopath. You, you have no remorse. You're incapable of love. If I hadn't guessed, you're well on your way to becoming a serial killer. So and he said, really said those words to you. Yeah, L- like those speaking those words, words would really help. I'll never well forget those words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I asked him how to, what I did about it. What do I do about it? And he said, there's nothing you can do. It's incurable. And I'm recommending that we discharge you from the service. So they, so they kicked me out of the service. And uh, when I got onto the streets, um, I, I want to I want to stop you there for a second. Okay, so in the military, they give you a diagnosis that you're a sociopath. The the the, psycho- the psychiatrist says that you're on the path to being a he thinks, in his opinion, a serial killer. And you ask him, "Is there anything I can do?" And the military guy says, "No, we're going to put you on the streets because we don't want you here." Exactly. I mean that's just amazing. And so it, but but yet God used that guy. He really did. He used that guy because if you'd have stayed in the military, you might not have ever made it out of the military. Yeah, I thought I was heading for prison, but uh, yeah. But as it was, um, I got on the streets. I became very violent, dangerous criminal. Um, I fought all the time. I started with this brass knuckles, baseball bat. 357 Magnum sawed-off shotgun, and uh, that. Um, so I was arrested. Uh, they trumped up a charge on me because they they hadn't been able to catch me, and I went to Parish Prison. Uh, their case fell apart after several months, but while I was in prison, I didn't learn anything. I Except how to be a better criminal. You said that that's what it seemed like prison was there for, just to teach you how to be a better criminal. Yeah, I did that. So when I got out, I became more violent, and I took more drugs. I OD'd twice. Very nearly died. My liver quit functioning for a week. And and uh, then I got word that they were looking for me again. This time they were going to get me off the streets one way or the other. And you got that word from a police informant who was a dark on the dark side of the police. Yeah, he was mobbed up uh, with a Cosa Nostra, and I was uh, dealing drugs for him to the heroin population in New Orleans. Uh, they owned a drugstore together, so I would get pharmaceutical morphine and sell it. So he had inside word that they were sweeping the French Quarter looking for me and told me I better get out of town and I better get out quick. I took it to mean they were going to kill me. Mm. So uh, I left town and hitchhiked up to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, and then um, I, I landed on a street called Lucky Street. It was 
actually on the intersection of Fairly and Lucky. When I read that, I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you landed on the corner of Fairly and Lucky Street yeah, in Atlanta. It was Fairly Lucky. <laughs> I went up there, I think, because Atlanta was really good to me after a while. But uh, I uh, continued uh, in some crime up there. I, I beat a guy half to death, and then I got in a car and, and I went out and had a head-on collision, ended up in the hospital. And I very nearly died. I broke almost every bone in my body. And seven blood transfusions, extremely critical condition, several weeks. and uh, But I survived. And but You and, said when you're in the hospital, you're an insomniac. You've been an insomniac for years, probably because of all the drug use and your lack of conscience, that you were a, a reader and a nurse got you to read the Bible. Well, what happened, uh, yeah, I have been an insomniac, and actually it was from birth. And, I really? mean, I've always been like that. And uh, so I I read all the time, and I convinced my nurse to go to the library and get books for me to read while I was recovering. I had a long recovery and a lot of operations. So um, she did, and the librarian started sending me a list of all the best-selling books. And I noticed the Bible was the best-selling book in the world. So I decided to read it to disprove it. My mother was an atheist, and um, my father was far from the Lord. I had no religious training, but from what I've seen of Christian people, I didn't like them at all. Right. And I thought they were hypocritical. And uh, so I thought the Bible was really written for weak people, by weak people. So uh, I was going to disprove it. But instead, um, while reading it, that's when I accepted Christ. So reading the Bible, because you said in part of your testimony that you read the Old Testament and you got bored, <laughs> and you jumped to the New Testament. Yeah. Well, I did that because my nurse had given me her personal Bible, and then she had uh, underlined all those verses in there and made all these notes. So I thought, well, maybe this is a more interesting read. So uh, I decided to start there. We've got in studio with us today Bob Williamson and Jamie Verinios. These guys wrote a book called Crazy Like Foxes, and Martha and I met these guys at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention earlier this year. We said we gotta we gotta bring you on our show, and but first I gotta read your book because I always read the books of authors, and we're gonna give away a copy at the bottom of the half hour. You can always email us to get a copy. Jim at iworkforhim.com. Jim at iwork the number four him.com. And we're going to give Bob a break. He's shared his testimony. If you've missed it, we're going to have to encourage you to go back and listen to the uh, the audio rebroadcast or the podcast to hear it. Jamie, let's hear a little bit of your story. Your story starts off like Bob's, too, in a pretty rough family. Yes. Um, I was raised in a very abusive background, but the difference is that I was raised in a Christian home. So I we're, we're going to put quotes around based on what I've heard of your story. We're going to put quotes around the Christian. Home. Yes. And um, so I went to Southern Baptist, a Southern Baptist church and uh, the youngest of six. And so my father was a physician. So I came from a lot of money and, and wealth. And, um, you know, from the outside, everybody thought that we were the perfect family because he was president of the deacons and we would show up on church on Sunday and, and you all look good and we all look good. Mm-hmm. And then you we, are good on the way to church. You get out of the, Right. And you knew it to be perfect. Yes. And uh, but at home, it, it was a nightmare. You know, I was very, very frightened as a little girl and never felt loved because of the abuse that, that went on in the house. And so 
when children are abused and, and they don't feel love, they look for love in all the wrong places. I think there's a song like that. <laughs> there is. And um, the other thing that's confusing to a child is that when your earthly father doesn't love you, then it's very difficult for you to grasp the love of the heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got pregnant. So I was pregnant, divorced and disowned all before the age of 21 with two children, one year old and two years, two years old. So you got pregnant in your teen years. I did. And then you married the guy that you got pregnant with. I did. You said as part of your testimony, it was like in 24 or 48 hours after you found out you're pregnant, you yeah, got married. I was forced to be married. You're forced. Yes. So your parents forced you to get married. Yes. And then they wanted nothing to do with me after that. Ever again. Ever again. So they, you, they've n- never seen my children or been around them or my gran- or or their grandchildren. You know, um, my children, half children, my older children, my um, children are adults now. So they have children of their own. And so when they disowned me, everybody disowned me, the church, the family, cousins, aunts, so all your siblings, everybody. You've so never seen any of them again. No, they, mm. in my in my first book, I talk about one instance where I showed up at a wedding and tried to to really reconcile that relationship. And, and it was quite, um, quite a nightmare that happened. Mm-hmm. So I was on public aid as a young single mom with two kids. And, and you're living where at this And I'm time? living in Illinois. Okay. And, um, and so I made a decision that I wanted more for my life. And even though I've always loved Jesus, I accepted Jesus when I was in sixth grade, I was confused because of the mixed messaging that went on, obviously. And, um, you know, to me, if we're going to be the church, we need to be the church sure. and, you know, show unconditional love. And so I, w- I started studying all different religions and, um, you know, and was pretty confused, but always knew God loved me like in, in my heart because I knew I was saved and, but I was still going to wander and look at different religions. But what was my driving force to get off public aid was my children. Sure. You know, that I was out to say that nobody would ever, I didn't ever want a child to ever feel or my children to ever feel what I felt as a little girl. So that's what became my driving force. So you're living in public housing or you're living in public. You said you're on public aid. Were you in public housing Government as well? funding, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are, those areas are tend to be a little rougher. Right. Uh, but you said, no, I don't want to be on public aid for the rest of my life. So you went to school. Correct. Yes, I did. And the government paid for my college education. And um, I worked several jobs and did whatever I had to do. And I tell women this a lot. I, I work with women and I'm always telling them that, you know, you don't want to stay on public aid. You know, <laughs> you know, God has a purpose for your life. And so, you know, I just knew that there was something greater for me. And that just inside of your spirit, you just know that God has something greater for you. And you have to pay attention to that. And so I went to school and uh, became a respiratory therapist. So my question was, as I was reading all that, okay, you're working several jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, even as you're going to school, you, you said you were teaching aerobics classes. You were, you were, work, you were do, teaching so many aerobics classes, your body started to actually shut down. Correct. So how did you do all that? What did you do with the kids when you're do, teaching aerobics and you're going to class and you're, you're studying? I mean, wh- wh- how did you do all that and still have time for these kids? I had um, a really wonderful lady that lived across the street that would help me with my children and different people would help me. So I was very fortunate. I've always been fortunate in my life that God has um, put people around me that have always supported me and loved me, whether it's professors or women and pastors, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. It just seems that, you know, um, I've always been given those kind of people. The Lord gave life. you another family. Yes. Mm-hmm. So as your respiratory therapist, pick up a story from there. So I'm working as a respiratory therapist and um, I go up to Chicago to go to a medical convention and I was offered a job to go into medical cells. 
So I'm living in a little bitty town of 2000 in Muhammad, Illinois. And uh, I'm offered this job and I thought, well, you know, I should do it. And I didn't know anything about sales, but I just wanted more and, and wanted to give my children more. So I took the job and went into Chicago, Illinois. Moved from a little town in Illinois. And people need to understand, there's Chicago in Illinois, and then there's the rest of Illinois. The rest of Illinois is rural, small towns, really sweet, nice people. And then there's Chicago, run by the mob. And that's really just a suburb of New York City. I mean, it's, it's, it is night and day. It is amazing. <laughs> that's correct. And that's why... I was scared, but I did it anyway. I always tell people, it doesn't matter. You know, feel the fear and do it anyway. You've got to get past that. That's how all brave beginnings start. You know, you just fight through that fear. So I went and went from $200 a month rent to 1000 and knew nothing about sales. But I again, I just wanted more. And, you know, you're not going to have more if you don't go through the doors that God opens for you. So And medical sales is very demanding. It involves a lot of travel. What did you do with your kids then as you're you're having to be out early and out late? How did you do that? Well, at first they were going to the kinder cares and I'd be up at 4 a.m. and dropping off at kinder care, wherever the daycares were in that area. And then eventually I was able to get a nanny that was able to move into the townhome but when I first got there, basically he handed me a page of DuPage, a map of DuPage and Cook County, and said, "Here's your here's your territory." And so I knew nothing about sales, but I thought I better I better make it because I wasn't about to tell him I couldn't do it. So I, I had to to make it. In this job, you learned a lot about yourself. I did. What did you learn? I did. Well, um, in in college, I made a D in public speaking. And I find that so comical because now I speak all, all, you do. all over the world. So um, I always tell people, don't confuse the person you are today where God's going to take you. So I learned to come out of my shell and just really make connections and, um, and you know, really get connected to people and, and fulfill needs in their life, you know, which, which is what I believe life is all about. Were you successful in that job? I was. I became very successful. So, But then the Lord kind of threw you a curve. He did. He did. Talk to me about the lady that comes out of the elevator. Um, okay. Well, before the lady came out of the elevator, um, well, I always tell people, I know God knew that I was getting ready to lose my job. I, I know it because, of course, when I was calling on some doctors at West Suburban Hospital, this beautiful woman walked in on an elevator. It was um, in the morning. It was about 9 a.m. And she asked me if I'd ever tried Mary Kay. And I actually had never tried Mary Kay. In fact, when I thought of Mary Kay, I thought of women who wore a lot of makeup and drove ugly pink cars and just thought I was too good, you know, for that. <laughs> so I looked at her. She said, have you ever tried Mary Kay? And I said, no, I'm allergic to the, oh, no, I said, I'm allergic to the product. I didn't tell her. No, I said, I'm allergic to the product, but I had never tried it. <laughs> and she said, when was the last time you tried it? And I said, well, I really can't remember, but I would never put that on my face. So at that time, all my friends, mostly my friends were men because of the corporate job I had. And so there was just no way I could ever picture myself doing Mary Kay. And she said, well, I'd love to get your opinion anyway. Beautiful girl from, from India. Her parents owned the clay, oven, uh, the, um, clay oven downtown. And I went to her home that day. And I know it was the Holy Spirit. And she um, invited me there. I got there at noon. And 30 minutes later, I bought over $200 for the product from her. That you were allergic to. And I was allergic to three <laughs> hours before, yeah. But yet you hadn't lost your job yet. I had not. Mm -mm. Well, what happened? Um, I was going to be promoted from regional director to director of marketing and the owner of the company. In fact, all my arrangements had been made to go to Atlanta and the director of the company flew in and we went to dinner and I wouldn't compromise my integrity. And three days later, I, I lost my job. 
you lost your job because you wouldn't compromise your integrity. Mm -hmm. And when you lost your job, what happened next? Well, I called up my consultant and I really thought I had lost my mind because I never could have pictured myself, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, much less relying solely, you know, on that. But I just made a decision that I didn't, I didn't want to be bossed around anymore. And so, or be put in a position like that. So I called her up and I said, this is Jamie. And um, I said, I, I want you to know that I, I don't like women. And I don't really even know if I'm going to fall in love with this product, but I'm going to do this Mary Gay. And I need to replace a six-figure income in six months. And she was silent on the other end of the phone, and I thought she had fainted. But she did <laughs> No, not. she was silently using her calculator going, well, if she made six figures, think of the money I'm going to make on this girl making six. That's what she was doing. It was a calculator on the, on the side. She was. And, um, and so I signed up, and, and I went to my first event and um, really thought I was crazy. Now, through this process, had you gotten involved in a local church? I mean, how, had, how was Jesus playing into all this process in there? I had not. I had, had not. still not. That's still part of the next part of the story. Correct. Tell us about that. So um, I, I got involved in Mary Kay and fell in love with the women. And, and what was awesome was just the environment that just covered me. I felt safe, you know, and I, w- I had an opportunity to meet my mentor. And her name was Marilyn Welly Valella. She's in heaven now. Older woman, much older than me. And um, she reached me on the phone and I just knew it was a God divine appointment. And she just told me that, you know, that there was nothing I would ever say to her that would shock her and that she, you know, she would never judge me. And so I really felt like I could open up to her and uh, build a relationship. And she told me on that phone that um, there's no fear in love. And I thought, wow, you know, and then had shared with me how many people in the company had become successful by putting God first. All right, we want to get back to these testimonies because Jamie, right before the break, you were you met Marilyn, your mentor. You're you're starting to sell Mary Kay. You've got to replace a six figure income in six months selling Mary Kay products, ten dollars at a time. How? What did the Lord do? To just try to summarize it as quick as possible. But how did the Lord work a miracle in your life? Well, after I met Marilyn, I felt safe. You know, and I felt like I could trust somebody for really the first time in my life. And when she told me that there's no fear in love, you know, and started telling me about all these success stories of women in our company that made a decision to put God first, you know, family, second, career, third. That's what Mary Kay based the whole company on. And uh, Mary Kay was a woman of God. And so I thought, wow, you know, maybe I need to go back to church and, and check some things out again. So I went back and visited a church and met my pastor who became my spiritual father and walked into the church. And at first, I didn't really like what he was saying, because, of course, you don't really want to hear what the pastor has to say. The truth is, you know, (laughs) tough to swallow at times. But I was very drawn to the music. Michael Day and Rena Day, who were famous at one time, um, he was playing. He was a music prodigy and he was playing on the piano. And um, I was just so moved by his music. I could just feel the Holy Spirit ministering to me. And then the pastor got up and started talking about there's no fear in love and um, that God loves you. And so at that point, I realized that it's not it's it doesn't matter how other people see me or even how my parents or my brothers and sisters or anyone sees me. It's important how my father in heaven sees me and sees everyone. And when I really understood that, the portrait of who I am in Christ completely changed. And and I felt there's no more orphan. You know, I'm not an orphan walking around. I'm a daughter of the king. And. And so that's really when everything changed dramatically in my life. 
And you're still Mary Kay today. I mean, you're I still am. doing. I mean, you're. Are you a worldwide leader now? Or I mean, twenty five years later, I'm a national sales director, and there's only a few hundred, um, actually less than four hundred women in my position in the world, all over the world, and so I oversee thousands of women, and it's just wild. It's crazy. <laughs> and your kids are now parents, and yes. you're a grandmother. And- I am. I'm a Mia. How you're a Mia? Well, you yes. can be whatever you want to. Yes. They're your grandkids. I, I want because people are listening and going, but how did she forgive her parents and her siblings and her family for rejecting her? How have you worked through that? Who who came? I mean, obviously Christ helped you do that, but did Marilyn help you work through that? Or Marilyn really helped me, and then um, Rena, Michael, and Pastor Grogan helped me. And um, and like I said earlier, that I've been so fortunate to have men and women of God come into my life and really mother me and father me it's it's been greatest gift you know that i could have ever had we're going to take a pause on your story and get to the business side in just a little bit but bob williamson we're going to pick it back up with you you're you're in the hospital you're reading the bible you realize that there's something that 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 this jesus you're reading about is is somebody that you really want to follow yeah when i started reading the new testament um i Jesus was nothing like I thought he was. Uh, he was full of love, and he wasn't condemnational, and he was full of mercy, and it didn't matter if you were a prostitute or a criminal or whatever. He just loved, love, love. Well, I was a grown man, and nobody in my life had ever told me they loved me. Just the opposite. I was called, I was stupid and a black sheep. I'd never amount to anything. And on and on. So uh, I was really um, into that uh, part of it. And it was very hard for me to do this because I I told you I didn't like Christians. One example, um, I I was down in the French Quarter in New Orleans. I was just walking through Jackson Square, a little park. And um, it's where all the street people hung out. And, And then this guy was standing on a box preaching you see them all over New Orleans, and I didn't think anything about it. And then he looked at me, and he pointed at me, and he told me, if if you don't change your ways, you're going to hell. And I looked around, and I saw he was talking to me. I said, are you talking to me? <laughs> Actually, didn't you say, are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I went over and I knocked him off the box and I pulled out a 357 and I cocked it. Oh my. And I put it right between his eyes and my hand was trembling. And I said, if you ever say that to me again, I'll kill you. And I very nearly murdered him for that. Had he have said, hey, you look like you got something on your mind. You want a cup of coffee? Can I pray with you or something like that? But just that condemning it whether it was true or not i didn't want to hear it you know so it was very hard for me to read the bible objectively Uh, i really wanted to disprove it and i was taking very careful notes and uh but i was just uh, overcome by the love of christ and uh, and i came to a part in philippians 4 13 it says i can do all things through christ who strengthens me that infuriated me. I slammed it shut. <laughs> I threw it on the floor, and I said, I rang for my nurse, and her name was Lydia, and I said, just get that out of here. It's nothing but a lie. And she said, what are you talking about? And it says right here, 
I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. I said, I'm a meth addict. I've worn out the veins in both my arms. I'm shooting up my legs. I've done horrible things. I've never done anything good in my life. And I couldn't remember one thing. And uh, I said, the only way I'll change is to die and be buried in a pauper's grave in a pine box. Well, Lydia was a very large African-American lady, and she did not take kindly to me throwing her Bible on the floor and talking about God that way. And she says, Jesus is God. He can do anything he wants. He made the blind see, cured the leper, he walked on water, he fed 5,000 people, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. And if he can do all that, he can change your sorry tale. She is a little more colorful. Yeah, I bet she was a little more colorful than that. Thank you for the PG version. Yes. So she put the Bible back on the bed and went stomping out of there. And I, I, uh, I thought about it and I said, well, you know, if, if God created me, he could sure change me. So I, uh, I said, uh, you know, I started thinking about it, and I thought the way that he was crucified, he was beaten beyond recognition and whipped and forced to carry a cross and nailed to the cross and hung up. And then he, he told all those people, Father, forgive them. Had that been me, I'd have told him to kill them all, you know. Slowly. Right. It's a good thing it wasn't us on the cross, yes. Yeah. Because we wouldn't have been as graceful. Yeah. yeah. But the thing that got me then were the two criminals that were being crucified with him. I was a criminal, a hardened criminal by then. And uh, one of them was making fun of him and saying, oh, man, if you're God, get yourself down. While you're at it, get us down. Just ridiculing him. And people had been spitting on him and, and cursing him and everything else. The other one looked at him and said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, this day you'll be in paradise with me, this day. So I thought, well, you know, that guy's being executed, so he had to be pretty bad, wasn't a church guy. If he could do it, why not me? So I asked Christ to come into my life, and he did. I felt the Holy Spirit from the top of my head down to my toes and back, and uh you know, uh, I just um, turned my life over to Christ at that moment. When I got out of the hospital, I got off drugs and alcohol without going to rehab. I didn't go to AA or NA. Those are good programs. But I just didn't need it. I, I wanted to change. I was sick of the life, you know, and I was suicidal anyway. My grandfather committed suicide to my uncles, my only brother, only sibling. And I wanted to commit suicide prior to that. But uh, that really gave me hope, first time in my life. And you got your first taste of business. You went and got a job. Yeah. <laughs> in a manufacturing well, facility, wasn't it? Am I remembering that correctly? Glidden Paint Company. Yeah. yeah. It was an 18-acre paint plant. Mine was the worst job in the plant. I... Um, I made uh, $350 a month, I think. More, my wife made more than I did. I met a, a girl that was nothing like me and married her. And, uh, she didn't, she 
lived a straight life all her life, lived with her parents, very stable. If you're wondering why she would marry me, I lied to her. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I just told her it was too painful to talk about my past, my families. But um, So I got a entry level at a job, and um, I had to lie to get the job. I, I just went in, and I said, I'll take anything. I need to work. I took a bus to work, and I was the first one there and the last one to leave. and worked really hard, and... Um, Ended up being promoted eight times all the way into plant management with no education and really much of anything. I didn't even have enough money to get a haircut, you know. I uh, I really rose up to the top of that uh, side of their business and and became uh, in plant management the only person that they've ever promoted that high at that time that didn't have a college degree. So, but you got a taste of the business. You did it well, but then it, you got to a spot where you weren't appreciated. You ended up going into business. People telling you, you said, I'm going to go, I'm going to start my own business. And people are like, you're stupid. You got a great job. You got a paying job. Why would you quit this job and start your own business? What was the Lord telling you about starting your own business? Well, um, at the time, um, when I said that, everybody was saying, well, you don't have any experience, you don't have any education, you don't have any money. How do you think you're going to make it in business? Most of them fail. And um, and it just brought back all my memory of my family, you know. Everybody told me I, I would never amount to anything. And I said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That had become my life's verse. And regardless of what they said, my wife wouldn't speak to me for several weeks, really, because I quit that job. And uh, but I did. I borrowed a thousand dollars on my credit card, and six months later, it was a multi-million-dollar business. I had one hundred eighty thousand customers around the world, and seven distributors, and I went from making thirty thousand a year to thirty thousand a week, and. I went on from there to create 24 more companies I founded. I sold one in uh, 2008 for $75 million. I had no debt. And um, and the Lord just blessed me enormously uh, throughout that career. And uh, I think those shrinks were wrong. I think they were wrong. I think they were wrong. I want to I pause you right there because when we come back, we're going to talk about how you and Jamie actually met and how you got together to write this book. Jamie, you you, you got your start in Mary Kay. You started expanding. You're, you're in Chicago. You're young, but you have to provide for your kids. You're living in an expensive area. Chicago is extraordinarily expensive. Where did you, your your love for business, your love for training people, because as a Mary Kay person, you have to not only do you have to sell, but you have to then sell other people on the idea that they can sell, that's that's how you actually make money. Where did God, how did God grow that in you? Well, I realized that the greatest gift we could ever give people is to tell people about God's love. And I felt like what I wanted to do was express to people God's love, not through, here's the Bible, this is what God says, but really literally being with them in life and walking with them through life and encouraging them in their God-given abilities, you know? And so I just became passionate about making a difference in women's lives. I believe that it's one of the hugest marketplace ministries that you could be in globally. Um, And so I just think that the Lord put me in Mary Kay to be in marketplace ministry. 
and um, and to really speak to the nations, you know, through this business. Yeah. So, so powerful. Yeah. I want you guys to get a copy of this book, Crazy Like Foxes. Email me, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iworkforhim.com. And the Lord kind of ran you two into each other just a year and a half ago. So, Jamie, tell the story really quick, how the Lord ran, ran the two of you into each other. Well, basically, one of my sales directors knows Bob, and she's a young millennial, and she's like 23 years old, and she had mentioned to Bob that he should have me come speak at his church, and he researched me and had told her that I was too secular to speak at his church, and so (laughs) then Katie um, had gone with me to a prison ministry, and after the prison ministry, she went back to Bob and said, you know, hey, you know, you really need to have her come speak at the church, and so he um, I get this email saying I'm speaking at Honey Lake Church and there's a radio interview. And 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 then I said, wow, you know, because when I heard what he said, I said, well, I'm never going to speak at his church and <laughs> I don't need to speak at his church. And but anyway, then I end up going. So after you spoke, the two of you came together and said, we should write a book. I mean, Bob, what, what happened really quick? What happened? Well, we were talking about a ministry. I started named the Jesus Alliance. She wanted to be a part of it. So she asked me to come to one of her conferences. She speaks all over the place. So I went down to Orlando, and I gave my testimony, and she gave hers at the same setting. And it really moved the audience. And one thing she does is she actually preaches the gospel at businesses, meetings. Fantastic. People come forward and make decisions for Christ. So that's how we met. And we compared notes on how we had— succeeded i mean what were the common ingredients and they were all the same so we thought it'd be interesting to write a book from her perspective as a woman and me as a man of how we were able to succeed after being faced with so many obstacles jamie you grew up a single mom for a lot of years you said 12 years you were a single mom speak to the moms out there today who think well i can't do what jamie did Mm Well, it's not even just moms, but women um, who have such low self-esteem, you know, they they look for their identity in people and and really men. A lot of women look for their identity in men instead of Jesus. And um, and so they from my experience from working with women is I when I meet them, they have such low self-esteem because instead of God confidence, they have self-confidence. And we know that self-confidence is not the confidence that you want. You want God confidence. And so once they really understand who they are in Christ and how, how God sees them. It's, it just transformed the, their lives. This past weekend, I did a conference. And, and you know, I believe that when, when you share with people how much you believe and how much God loves, with them, loves them, that's the transforming, the transformation that takes place. And after I was through with all the Mary Kay training and hundreds of people, this one young lady raised her hand who didn't know Jesus. And she said, can I just ask you a question? She said, I just want to know about your walk. Well, Jesus, can you tell me about that in detail? And and so I started to share, and they were just, people were crying, and women right there accepted Jesus. And another lady in the back of the room, this is a business meeting, said, will you pray over us? And, you know, I prayed over them. And, and it wasn't the training. It wasn't any of that. It was that they they could understand that God is love and that it's not about legalism. It's not about what you did. It's, it's about who we are in Christ. And, and they saw you work through the hurt that exactly. you had to work through. Yeah. Bob, you were told you were going to, you were a, a sociopath. You were going to become a, you're on your path to becoming a serial killer. Jesus rescues you. You become a serial entrepreneur. Speak to the people out there who've been told they, they're never going to amount to anything. 
Well, I, I think that, that our, our stories demonstrate vividly that anybody can do it. Because if we could, I can guarantee you in my case, nobody I've ever met was any worse off than I was at that point in my life. And yet I was able to overcome all those obstacles through Christ. And that's the key. I had turned to drugs and alcohol and sex and power and, and violence and everything you can imagine. And I, I know plenty of people, I call them up-and-outers. There's as many up-and-outers as there are down-and-outers. These are people with money and wealth, fame, power. They're miserable because they're turning to the wrong things. I, I, you have to turn to Jesus Christ. And that's what I did. And he blessed me enormously, and he'll bless them. He'll he'll bless anybody who's listening. And I would say that don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do something. I, I was told that all my life. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You don't have any experience. You don't have this. You don't have that. Well, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That had become my life's first, still is. So... I just think that there's a lot of people out there that have been made to believe. I had very, very low self-esteem for many years. So um, just believe in yourself and believe in Jesus Christ. Bob Williamson, Jamie Verinios, thanks so much for being an I Work for Him. Thanks for sharing your book, Crazy Thank Like you. Foxes. Thank, Thank you. You can find out more about their book online at crazylikefoxes.com, crazylikefoxes.com. You're listening to the I Work for Him radio show. And as you are, just celebrate the incredible country that we live in. Thank the Lord for the work that He's done in your life, the incredible family that you have. But remember, your workplace, it's your mission field. It really is. But ultimately, I work for him. him.